Hello, and welcome to Macro Minutes. During each episode, we'll be joined by RBC Capital Markets experts to provide high conviction insights on the latest developments in financial markets and the global economy. Please listen to the end of this recording for important disclosures. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome to the latest edition of Macro Minutes called How Long Does This Take? I'm Peter Shafik. I'm going to be your host for today's call, which is recorded at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. London Time on July 25th, 2023. So this business cycle and the rate cycle continues to be somewhat unusual, let's call it that. Um, Some central banks have been stopping and starting in their hiking process. And this week, we're going to see the FOMC and the ECB almost certainly adding another 25 basis points to their respective tally. But the odds going forward have been greatly diminished about what's going to come thereafter um, compared to just a few weeks ago. And uh, the question is whether we have reached the peak already or whether there's something coming thereafter. In the UK, the turnaround has probably been even more pronounced. Um, The UK had been pricing um, quite extraordinary levels um, compared to their peers. But since the latest CPI CPI data came out, had also seen quite a rally and more than 50 basis points have been priced out of the um, interest rate strip. Um, Meanwhile, though, the survey data most notably out of Europe um, in form of the PMIs, has been quite disappointing, to say the least. Um, And in part, particularly in the manufacturing sector, is now indicating sharply contractionary territory. And to make things even more complicated, the strength of the labor market continues, and there seems very little to indicate that a significant turnaround um, is in store in the near term. Over at the other end of the globe, in China, the problem seemed to be the opposite, uh, where the economy rebounded less than expected after the COVID restrictions had been lifted and the PBOC tries to support the economy as best as it can. So to make sense of all of this, I'm joined by some of my finest RBC colleagues and experts on their relative um, issues. And um, Blake Gwynn is going to kick us off in a second um, to talk about the U.S. and specifically the upcoming FOMC meeting. I'll quickly return uh, to say something about the ECB. Simon Dealey um, has the latest on Canada and the Bank of Canada. And then Cahal Kennedy, our resident expert on the U.K., is going to talk about the MPC and the implementation of monetary policy. He's written a very interesting note lately about the lengthening of the implementation period. And last but not least, Alvin Tan is going to join us from Singapore to share his thoughts on China. Um, And I'm particularly grateful that at this hour he's going to join us. But without further ado, I'll turn it over to Blake. Thanks, Peter. Uh, Yes, I wanted to spend most of today's um, time allotted to me talking about the FMC, which will be coming up tomorrow. Um, That's obviously the big folks in the U.S. for markets this week. that being said, it should be a fairly quiet FOMC. Um, you know, a hike, a 25 basis point hike is fully priced. Uh, just as a reminder, we're not going to get a dot plot at this meeting, so uh, we won't have that uh, kind of shift in the dots that often drives a lot of the price action in response to an FOMC meeting. Um, also on the statement, we think the changes should be fairly minimal, probably some uh, marking to market. Uh, some of the inflation language, I don't think that would be particularly uh, market moving, and I think their uh, uh, kind of forward guidance section on rates is, is already very well suited uh, to what I think is going to be a very data-dependent approach uh, going into the next few meetings. They changed that, I remember, uh, um, in a prior meeting and, and made that a little bit more um, open, a little bit more loose uh, to accommodating uh, this kind of 
stop start uh, potential skip type of pace that they have going forward. So, so really any entry from this FOMC meeting is going to have to come from uh, the Powell press conference. And I think the biggest thing the markets are going to be looking for is any kind of signaling on what they're likely to do in September. Um, but we think they're going to be pretty reticent to give um, any kind of guidance here. We think Powell will be, uh, will, will play his cards very close uh, to the vest. Um, there, there's, you know, two NFP and CPI prints before the September meeting. Um, so they're going to have a lot of data between now and then. So we just don't really see why Powell would want to commit or really start pushing markets in one direction or the other when they still have lots of time and data before they're really going to have to make a decision. Um, and not only that, but uh, remember that he will have his Jackson Hole appearance in late August. So if we do see something in, in um, the first of, of those two sets of data uh, that does start to shift their uh, change their mind and, and they want to see that market pricing shift towards a hike, um, he could always use that Jackson Hole speech to do that. Um, one thing I will be watching for, though, is any discussion around uh, the June FOMC dots, uh, which, remember, showed one more hike after July. Uh, we have seen Powell come out and negate uh, the most recent dots at a presser before. Remember, November of last year, he said uh, committees rate expectations had moved higher since the September FOMC dots had been released. And I think with the, the soft June CPI print that we got, um, some people in the market might be expecting something similar this time, where he basically comes out and says that, you know, uh, the committee had softened their stance since those June dots came out and thus kind of negating um, that median showing, showing an additional hike. Um, but I, I think if you look at the totality of the data we've seen since the June meeting, remember we did get a soft CPI, but uh, remember we also got some positive labor market data, um, and I think this soft landing narrative has really taken hold over the intermeeting. I really doubt um, many on the committee have significantly changed their views since they submitted those June dots. So if he does mention it specifically, I would expect him um, to basically reconfirm those June dots at least at this time. Um, and, and I would also say as to the June CPI print itself and how they're kind of reacting to it, um, you know, I, I really think the FOMC is going to want to see a, a string of consecutive low CPI prints before they officially kind of signal an indefinite pause or really let markets know um, that they're on hold for the time being. Um, so, again, just not something I expect him to do in the press conference. Um, what it's worth, our call is still for July to be the last second cycle, but uh, we're very open, um, you know, we're very open to changing our minds on, on that position if we get any positive surprises in the next uh, two months of data that will come out before that September meeting. But even if the data holds um, at, at the, the June levels and just kind of reinforces that soft landing view, I think, um, you know, the Fed's most likely, um, you know, most likely action would be to skip September, slow down the pace a bit more, kind of tee up November. That gives them one more, one more month of data and, and kind of maintains this kind of view uh, in June where um, they came out more hawkishly, uh, but at the same time uh, decided not to hike in that meeting and instead uh, push that, additional hikes into, into future meetings. So overall, I think the Fed narrative is relatively stable for now, at least until Jackson Hole in late August, uh, but perhaps even further than that if the data continues to suggest a soft landing. And when I say stable, I mean uh, combined pricing for a hike in September, November around 50%, and 2024 cut pricing around five or so cuts. And for rates, um, I think that means yields and curves largely chopping around in a range for the next month or so, with that chop really being driven by things that are happening overseas, potential overreactions to, to U.S. data and, and technical factors like positioning, uh, supply, et cetera. So um, after the last few sessions of price action, I think yields are probably closer to the top end of those uh, late summer rate ranges in the bottom, and I would say vice versa for many of the curves. Um, and with that, I will uh, pass it back over to Peter.
Thank you, Blake. Um, I could take the first part of your statement and just apply it um, to the ECB as well, because when we look forward to the um, Thursday meeting, what's most likely going to happen, because it has been de facto pre-announced, is that the ECB is going to hike interest rates by 25 basis points. And then the question really becomes, just as with the FOMC, what are they going to do thereafter, and are they going to give us any guidance? Now, and there's quite a lot of data in between um, this meeting and the one in September, just um, uh, equivalent to what Blake was just saying about the FOMC, I think it's very unlikely that we get the same kind of firm guidance um, for the next meeting. The ECB will probably try to play for time here. And also keep in mind um, that uh, we won't get any um, staff forecasts this time around. They will be coming in September. And when we look forward to that, one of the things to note is that with the latest um, survey data that has been coming out um, and the activity data that has been coming out, it seems quite likely to us that the ECB's staff forecasts in September will have to be downgraded. Um, and if that's the case, it obviously makes the case for um, uh, firm guidance now even less likely. So overall, we reckon that um, we'll get the 25 as promised, and then uh, everything else will be very data-dependent indeed. And that's to some degree already what the market is pricing, because we're pricing the 25, and then we're pricing a sub-100% probability um, for the next move to occur in one of the next two meetings, so either in um, uh, October or then in um, the subsequent meeting in, um, uh, sorry, in, in September or the subsequent meeting in October. So that's roughly speaking in the near term. Just very briefly, um, if I look at the market, uh, just as Blake also was saying, um, the, the bond market has been between roughly 2 and uh, 2.55. We were trying to break out most recently um, to the upside, um, but that hasn't really gotten hold. And I think the, the chances are going into the summer after this meeting, um, particularly with this um, forward-looking data being on the weak side, that the market is probably trending back towards the middle of the range. However, in order to break out, I think we would need to see a confirmation of either a very significant weakening um, of the data, of the actual data, not only the survey data from here onwards, or indeed the reverse where the ECB would guide us towards a higher peak um, in the, before the year is out. And neither of that is likely going to be confirmed um, over the next couple of weeks. So I reckon what's going to happen is the ECB meeting is going to come and go, and we're going to drift, and then the market is going to take any clues from the data that comes out in between until we get any closer to the September meeting. And with that, I'll hand it over to Simon to speak about Canada. Great. Thanks very much, Peter. Uh, Canada certainly fits into the how long will it take topic this edition with the Bank of Canada hiking by 25 basis points each at the June and July meetings after holds in March and April as part of their conditional pause announced in January. So is the BOC done now? Uh, as with other central banks, they're highly data-dependent at the moment, so the answer is depends on what your expectations are for macro data. Uh, we found the BOC statement and, and NPR on July 12th quite hawkish, with the latter including greatly upgraded growth, so plus 1.5% in each of Q2 and Q3, and inflation, so 3.3% year-on-year in Q3, 2.9% in Q4 forecasts. The 2023 full-year growth forecast revo was revised up 0.4 percentage points to 1.8%, with that increase coming from household consumption, something that the Bank of Canada would hope to be softening from the already completed rate hikes. So there are two ways to look at the upgraded forecasts. One is that in reflecting the Bank of Canada's expectations, it shows that they expect growth and inflation to continue to outperform, 
and they may need to do more to slow the economy and return inflation to 2%. The other is that it represents a high bar for the economic data in the roughly six weeks remaining to the September meeting. Indeed, our economics team's forecasts are much larger than the BOC on both growth, uh, so we have plus 0.5% in Q2, minus 0.5% in Q3, and inflation. Consensus expectations are between BOCs and our own. Ultimately, the softening we expect to see in the macro data means our forecast for the BOC is that they are on hold going forward before cuts starting next July. Uh, note this is noticeably later than the March median in yesterday's market participants survey published by the bank. But if data evolves more in line with the BOC's projection, then another in hike in September would be likely. The caveat here is that the BOC's NPR press conference was particularly more balanced than the statement in NPR, noting concerns on both over- and under-tightening, and that they discussed the hold at the meeting itself. Key data points to watch before the September 6th meeting are May GDP this Friday, uh, which includes the June Nowcast, uh, July Labor Force Survey on August 4th, July CPI on August 15th, and the full Q2 GDP report on September 1st. The June CPI report last week saw a headline on the softer side at 2.8%, though core inflation printed on the firmer side at 0.3% month-on-month for, for all three uh, core measures, including trim, median, and super core. In our view, this leaves all to play for on the inflation side in next report, in next month's report and ahead of the September 6th meeting. With that, I'll send it back to Peter. Thank you, Simon. And uh, moving over to this side of the Atlantic, um, Cahal, um I know you've done some work on the transmission policy, uh, transmission um, path, so why don't you fill us in on your latest findings, please, on the UK? Yeah, thank you, Peter. Um, I mean, you mentioned at the top of the call um, the uh, significant reaction we saw to uh, last week's CPI data here in the UK. I think one of the uncertainties we have um, is um, in identifying kind of you know, where terminal might be, because we know now that um, monetary policy in the UK setting is working with a much longer lag um, than than was previously um, the case. There has been two very important uh, changes in the UK housing and mortgage markets that that explain that lengthened lag in terms of transmission. Um, Since the last time the Bank of England undertook a significant hiking cycle in the early to mid-2000s. The first of those is in respect of housing tenure. The most common form of housing tenure in the UK now is owner occupancy. That is, I'm sorry, outright ownership. That is people who own their houses outright without a mortgage. Almost 35% of all um, UK um, houses are owned in that way. So what that means is that the proportion of houses with a, households with a mortgage is smaller than it was previously, 30% now versus roughly 40% 20 or so years ago. So um, that transmission mechanism is resting on a, small, a much smaller portion um, of, um, of households. The second is that we have seen a change in the mortgage market. Um, at the beginning of the last decade, um, some 70% of all uh, mortgages in the UK would have been um, on variable rates. Um, so... What that meant was that uh, changes in Bank of England policy transmitted very quickly um, to households um, and to the interest rates that they were facing on those mortgages. What we've seen over the, over, over, over the last sort of 15 to 20 years is a shift to fixed rate products. 85% of UK mortgages are now fixed, um, and most of those fixed for two between two and five years. So for those households, um, 
they only face the increase in mortgage rates once they go to renew their mortgages. So there's a delay in the transmission of monetary policy to households compared to what was previously um, the case. Um, our bank equity analysts estimate that um, only around 40% of residential mortgages in the UK so far have refinanced on to higher rates. Um, but then even by the end of this year, it'll only, it's still only 55% of, um, of, of mortgages will have refinanced onto, onto higher rates. So even by the end of this year, by the end of 2023, the, only about half of the impact um, of the policy measures the Bank of England have announced thus far will have been transmitted through to um, households. So it gives you some impression of the lag in that transmission um, um, mechanism. Um, so, two implications for the for the MPC. One, one as they have admitted themselves, it takes longer for their policy to feed through. And two, it may be that that, that policy is is blunter as well. And just in terms of respect of, we have the Bank of England meeting next week. As you, as uh, akin to what you mentioned in respect of the, of the ECB, we see the Bank of England delivering two more rate rises at this meeting in August and the next meeting in um, September. We felt there was enough in the language in the minutes of the June meeting to suggest that the bank, the MPC, thought that the 50 basis point rate increase they announced at that meeting was a, would have been a one-off. Um, we held that. We held that uh, call um, through the labour market data, and indeed, sort of, you know, since the CPI data last week, we we kind of firmed up um, that view that we will get a 25 basis point move next week. Thank you, Cahal. Very insightful. Um, and last but not least, let's um, turn uh, let's let's turn it over to Alvin, uh, to a central bank that has a very different problem. Um, it's not trying to cool the economy, but to support the economy. Alvin, over to you. Hello, hi, good uh, morning, good afternoon. Um, so yeah, yesterday we had the uh, statement from the Chinese uh, Politburo. Uh, it did not unveil a big bazooka stimulus, so to speak. Uh, and it essentially recapped the penalty of measures that have been announced so far to support the economy. Still, the market seems to have taken heart that the Politburo statement I did make the point that they recognize that the lack of confidence was at the heart of China's um, economic maze. Uh, and the market has given uh, uh, the probability the benefit of the doubt, as you can see from the uh, significant rally uh, in, in uh, Chinese equities and also in the, in the running beat um, over, uh, over the last 24 hours, essentially. Um, and just to, you know, recap very, very quickly, you know, the, the, the main values that have been announced over the past few weeks, uh, that, for example, debt forbearance uh, you know, to facilitate the completion of housing projects by indebted developers, uh, targeted measures to try to promote uh, consumption of cars and, and, and household electronics. Um, Relaxation of the, of the regulatory crackdown on internet firms, uh, and, and quite a big one was the uh, what was pledged by both the central government and the Communist Party together uh, to support private enterprise uh, in in China. And finally, uh, of course, there's been various you know, monetary easing uh, in terms of uh, reserve ratio cuts and interest rate cuts uh, on the part of the PBOC. Um, also. Of course, behind all this, uh, there's also been currency depreciation, uh, not so much in the form of uh, dollar uh, CNY uh, exchange rate, but, but but more importantly, the the trade weighted uh, renminbi has fallen 
to the Lord's level in January of 2021. Um, it, it's been it's been basically falling quite steadily over the past uh, two months. And of course, currency depreciation is another form of monetary easing. So instead of the big uh, fiscal stimulus that some have been calling for, uh, Beijing's focus does seem to be on a combination of positive support measures that it hopes uh, will be enough to arrest the, uh, the the growth slowdown that we are seeing in China and more and importantly to revive uh, the animal spirits uh, in the economy on part of both firms and households. Um, but certainly, though, uh, given that it's not you know one big uh, stimulus package. It, it, it's not a recipe from a drop reversal of the economy's trajectory, in my mind. It, it's more about trying to halt the current deterioration in the uh, in the growth momentum. Um, and personally, I'm not fully convinced that the current measures, as announced, are really enough to really halt this, uh, this this slowdown that, that's underway. Uh, in particular, I'm not that convinced that pledges about supporting private enterprise would be enough to really trigger a revival of private sector uh, investment and confidence after what has happened in the past few years, both in terms of the regulatory crackdown and, and, and the more general uh, strengthening of the party's uh, primacy uh, in the economy and over economic policy, uh, or even that the various targeted housing and consumption measures will be enough to unlock household spending and revive household confidence after the, the privations of, of the COVID years and the ongoing housing sector malaise. And as a result of this, I, I do think that the further currency depreciation, again, uh, in particular, the trade-weighted uh, remedy, um, it would definitely be needed. And so you know, I, I, I do reiterate the 95 target uh, in the trade-weighted species index, for example. And that's it for me. Thank you very much, Alvin. Uh, thank you, everyone who is dialing in. Um, and thank you to everyone who is listening. This content is based on information available at the time it was recorded and is for informational purposes only. It is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation, and no recommendations are implied. It is outside the scope of this communication to consider whether it is suitable for you and your financial objectives.